excited about the Word of God as if that's something new. I say that every week. Um, but I'm always excited specifically as we are going on in this campaign, extending our reach and how we're looking at the different ways that we as Christians can extend the reach of the gospel into other people's lives. Um, over the past two weeks, we have looked at some different encounters that Jesus specifically had with two very different women. And we saw in those encounters how he took those instances and he took those women and he extended eternal life to both the woman at the well and the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now, though these encounter, through these encounters, rather, we've learned that Jesus doesn't merely see the sins that a person may have in their lives, but he very specifically sees the sinner that is being consumed by that sin. We saw how his gracious compassion was on display, even in the midst of their sin. And the last thing we saw in both of their lives is that their lives were transcended, transformed, and changed by their relationship that they had with Jesus Christ. Today we want to look at another encounter that involves both Paul and Silas. And what we'll see today is that Paul and Silas had been thrown into a Roman prison because of their faith, because of, they, because of the fact that they were sharing the gospel. And what we want to see today is that even though they are thrown into prison, it does not thwart their ability, one, to serve God. But even in the midst of that prison, that they were still able to offer praises and prayer to God. And so knowing that, knowing that they never relent in offering praise to God, what we want to do today is see that. Even when there is chaos all around our lives, and there is, and there will always be, when we faithfully serve the Lord and endure the many trials around us, not only will our lives testify of the goodness and gracious obedience and trustworthy nature of the Lord, but so can our words. And that's where we are pulling the title from today. Consistent in chaos. Consistent in chaos. If you've ever read the book To Kill a Mockingbird, it's one of my favorite books. In that book, there is a woman who claims that these men had raped her and they hadn't actually raped her. And she says this because of their race. Now, the lawyer of these men is a man named Atticus Finch. And in this movie, Atticus Finch is defending these men because he knows that they're innocent. Now, at one point he goes to trial and he begins to call out the character inconsistencies of this woman and her father. And after that court day, the man, the father of that young woman, comes out and she spits on Atticus. And Atticus merely takes his handkerchief and wipes it off of his face. Now, his daughter Scout is a rather feisty child, and when she sees this, she can't reconcile how he has such a calm and peaceful response. And he tells her, listen, if you understood the way I just railed this man, shamed this man, guilted this man, and embarrassed this man, you would understand why he did what he did. And then he, he goes on to say, 
what I think is one of the most famous quotes in any novel. He says, it's not enough to just walk around in another person's shoes. It's not until we put on their skin and walk around that we can truly understand why a person is the way that they are. Now, in that same way, what I want you to be able to see today is that when we are going out as Christians, we must have the same attitude as Atticus Finch. Listen, many times as we are sharing the gospel, we will be not necessarily intentionally uncovering the sins that many people have been harboring for years. Many of the things that many people have avoided saying to them because we are sharing to them the gospel, much of what they have wanted to remain hidden will be uncovered. And just like Atticus Finch, we're going to be abused for it. We're going to be persecuted for it. We're going to be ridiculed for it, shamed for it, embarrassed for it, and even potentially killed for our faith. But what we must do is hold steadfast to this notion that these people are the way they are because they need the gospel that we have. And so when the lost behave like the lost, we should never be surprised. So today we're going to look at an encounter that Paul and Silas have with with a man who had just thrown them in prison and how despite what he had done to them, they still sought to give that man the gospel. And so what we want to do today is see that we must also make the same commitment to faithfully stand for the gospel. Let's go to the word of God. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and then and the magistrates tore their garments off and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took, this, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. 
Then he brought them up into his house and set the food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's say amen for the reading of God's word. Now here we are introduced at the end of one story and at the beginning of another. Here we have a few people. We have Paul, we have Silas, we have Luke, and we have Timothy. All names you should recognize. And at this point, they are all going through these different Roman cities, having been compelled by God, preaching the gospel. Now, in this book, this book is written by Luke and it's called the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, hence the name Acts. In this encounter, there was a girl, there was a girl who had what the Greeks called a python spirit. Now, she didn't really have a python spirit, but all this meant is that this girl was a fortune teller. And because she was a fortune teller, some men had enslaved this girl. They had taken, taken her, and as she was telling the fortune of people, they were making a profit off of this girl. What does this sound like? This is human trafficking. They are making a profit off of this person. And when these men see that they present her the gospel, and she's saved because of the gospel, they immediately get angry with them. Why? Because they had lost all opportunity to continue earning a profit off of this young teenage girl who was going around telling the fortunes of others. Now, the first thing that I want us to see today, and that's going to bring us to the first point, is chaos in the culture. Chaos in the culture. Listen, one of the many things that aggravates me today about people who say, well, God is different now because the culture has changed and what God was instructing then is not the same as what he's instructing now. But I think when we look at the biblical text, God has always been a God who was anti the culture of the world. In fact, we see all throughout history, God continually defies what man's tradition and culture is because man's culture defies God. Here we see Philippi is a Roman city named after Alexander the Great. Their culture is dominated by immoral, lewd, illicit activity as we can see that this young woman is being trafficked by men for money. But not only that, there was a large anti-Semitism movement in Rome during this time. And if you don't know what anti-Semitism is, that just means that they hate Jews simply because they are Jews. And the emperor of Rome, Claudius, had issued an edict that said if you were a Jew, you had to leave the city. Now, as Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy are going all around, they are well aware that they're not even supposed to be in the city, yet they enter the city compelled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by Christ himself to give the entire city the gospel, knowing that their lives are at stake. Now, so much at stake that they are thrown in prison, in prison for it. This is a chaotic culture. 
And I always look at people who think, well, you know, today is so much worse than it was then. But sometimes I look back and wonder, would we even survive as Christians if it was as bad then as if it was as bad today as it was then? Would many of us be willing to gather the way that we gather, knowing that at any given moment, because of the fact that we gather, people could slaughter us and legally get away with it? Listen. If you want to think that today is harder than it was on yesteryear, I would say run through the city proclaiming the gospel like these men did when the Emperor Nero had Christians burned and then he lit them in the city as candles so that they could light the night. We want to talk about it's harder now, but the culture was not just chaotic then. It was legal for you to persecute Christians. But despite that, we see that these men are going all throughout the city, giving the gospel to as many people as they possibly can. And the last thing that they are concerned about is their lives. Listen, we see that Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And you're probably not asking this question, but I always ask these questions. I always answer these questions. How is Luke still able to write, and why is he not thrown in prison, and why is Timothy not thrown in prison? Well, Paul and Silas were ethnically and culturally complete Jews, and everybody knew that. Luke was Greek. He wasn't a Jew at all. Timothy was only half Jewish. And so because of that, they are not in prison, but we do see that these other men are. Sometimes I think that somehow we think God is requiring less of us today than he did then. In fact, I was having a conversation recently a few weeks ago with a woman and I told her that we must be willing to die for the faith. And her exact comment to me was, well, that was back then in the Bible days. And my exact retort to her was, oh, you mean how ISIS is still beheading Christians today? I said, it's funny how that's back in the Bible days, right? See, unless we realize that this thing can take us into the edge of eternity and that we could possibly lose our lives for it in defense of the faith, unless we have already given up our lives, we will never be willing to lose our lives. And so what we see here is these men who are willing to be placed in prison because of their faith. See, we are living still in a culture that denies the culture of Christ and we must be willing to stand out and speak up against the culture of the day. Now, it gets them in prison. But where will it get us? Unfriended on Facebook? Maybe somebody blocks us? Maybe we lose a friend? Listen, the persecution that they were willing to face is not nearly is is so much more than what we are willing to face. We won't even disrupt a comfortable relationship for the gospel, let alone these men were willing to go to prison and all be killed for their faith. 
Listen, there is an undeniable trend all throughout the Bible that shows us when you go against the culture, your livelihood and your life is at stake. Look at the Old Testament with the three Hebrew boys. They're thrown into a furnace. Look at Daniel when he goes against the culture. He's thrown into the lion's den. Look at even John the Baptist whose head is handed to Herod on a plate, on a platter. Look at Paul who ends up being beheaded and then look at Jesus who is crucified because they all went against the culture of Christ. See, the test of our consistency in the midst of chaos will testify of where we stand with Christ. The Bible emphatically tells us that if we are willing to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel, we will inherit, we will gain eternal life. But if we are willing to only preserve our lives, And deny the gospel. We have already been condemned. Why? Because Jesus says. If you acknowledge me. In front of everybody. I will acknowledge you. In front of my father. Who is in heaven and the angels. But if you deny me. I will deny you. In front of my father. And the angels. Listen. This is a serious charge to those of us who believe. Listen to this quote. Faith is not private, it's public. It is not necessary to blow a trumpet in the streets and force our experience on everybody's notice. All that is required is a willingness to acknowledge Christ as our master without flinching from the ridicule or persecution which doing so may bring on us. More than this is not required, but less than this ought not to content us. If we are ashamed of Jesus in front of other people, he will one day be ashamed of us in front of his father and angels. We must stand out against the culture. The next point that I want you to see is that there is chaos in their conviction. Chaos in conviction. Now, you may notice there is no actual trial going on here, but they are in fact guilty. They could not teach the gospel in their culture. And because of it, Paul and Silas, being Jews, are beaten with rods, unclothed, and then thrown into prison. Now, when they are thrown into prison, their feet are placed in these stocks where they are locked together. And what they would also do when they would lock them in there together, they would then take more rods and beat their feet mercilessly because of the gospel. Now, not only that, when they are thrown into this prison, they are thrown over to the jailer and handed over to him like a giant, cheap bag of nothingness. They have no regard for their lives. They have no regard for their safety. And he throws them into the prison. But then we see something. We see something that every time I read it just literally does not make sense to me. 
Paul and Silas, freshly beaten, uncared for, and seemingly abandoned, are praying and they are singing in the prison. This is insane. I can only imagine that the pain that they would have felt would have been radiating through their bones and the aching would have permeated their minds. And yet they are praying and they are singing. How can they be so jubilant in such a state? Well, I can tell you how. Let's look at what Paul says. After he had been imprisoned. 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. For the sake of Christ then, I am content. But look what he's content with. I'm content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. And I'm content with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why is he strong in his weakness? Because the Bible says that the strength of God is made perfect in our weakness. It is our ability to be weak before him, to display our weaknesses before him, that the strength of God will mount up in our lives. And even when there is chaos, and there always is, going all around our lives, when it's like a whirlwind in our lives, the one thing that we know is that the anchor holds. Philippians 4.11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, when I read these scriptures, I want you to do what I did and take an introspective look in my life. And think about, even if I was suffering and it wasn't even for the gospel's sake, did I remain faithful to God? Did I remain content in all the calamities, all the chaos, all the hardship that I go through? Or did I grumble? Did I murmur? Did I complain? Did I tell God, God, you know, I really deserve better. When the reality is, as long as we have breath in our body, we have already been given more than we deserve. It doesn't matter what faculties in your body work, what doesn't work, what's in your account, what's not in your account, what the kids are doing, what the family is doing, what work is doing, as long as God is God, everything is okay. We must believe that. See, unless we believe that, we will never be bold enough to take a stance for our faith because we will always be thinking about what we can lose. But instead of thinking of what you will lose if you take a stand for your faith, Think about what you'll lose if you don't. Listen, this is the true mark of a consistent life devoted to God. They have let nothing distract them from the gospel. They are content with life because they are content with God. Listen, 
We have all been fickle in situations that don't even amount to what they're going through. We have all complained. We have all grumbled. We've all murmured. But this is not their testimony. Even in insurmountable odds, nothing has distracted them from what their mission is. And I want you to see this today. The same thing that got them in that prison is the same thing that got them through the imprisonment. What was that? That was a life saturated, saturated in their love for God. In a world today that is diametrically opposed to God, are we willing to be placed in precarious positions for our faith? How about this? Have we faced the trials in our own lives with the same fire and fervor that these men had in the Lord? Have we? Listen, their faith is not moved, nor is it shaken, simply because things aren't going the way they desire. But rather, when things didn't go the way they desired, it forced them to lean more into the grace of God. It forced them to press more into the love of Christ when things were not going the way they anticipated. And they gave him all the glory that was due to him. But not only that, it says, while they did this, by the way, it was midnight. Not only was it midnight, but the Bible says that all the other prisoners heard what they were doing. I can only imagine us all being in prison together, already can't sleep, and then Paul and Silas down here praying and singing. Would y'all be quiet? We trying to sleep, yet they are down there praying and singing, declaring the goodness of God, even in a traumatic situation. So let me ask you this question. When you have faced trials and chaos in your own lives, have the neighbors had to tell you to be quiet yet? Has the love of God exhibited itself so great in your own life that people were astounded how you could be so consistent in the midst of so much chaos? See, when we can be steadfast and unmovable in the love of God, it will cause men to wonder what has gotten a hold of us. And see, that is when then we can offer them the word of truth. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who has transcended my heart, who came into my life and disrupted my life. And I'm so glad he did. That must be our testimony, people. Listen. When we are facing trials, what do we press into? What do we put on display for the world to see? Do we merely put our flesh on display? Do we merely project our anger or our frustration or our disappointment? Or do we show the love and conviction of Christ? Listen, the Bible admonishes us how we should behave in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, 
immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, y'all please hear this, your labor is not in vain. Clark Sisters had a song that says, I know my labor is not in vain because of the road is eternal gain. That's how we know our labor isn't in vain. So what they are doing is what we should all do. We must be steadfast in him. We must be unmoved and we must always abound faithfully in the work of the Lord. Why? Because my labor is not in vain and there is eternal gain. That means no matter what the depths we are taken into by the gospel, it is not in vain. Now, just as these prisoners heard, when others see and hear our unwavering commitment to God, it will drive them to the Lord. And that's leading us to our very next point, our final point for today. Conversion in chaos. Conversion in chaos. As Paul and Silas are faithfully praying and praising, the Lord then sends an earthquake and that earthquake shook the entire prison. Now, when this happened, it says that the doors not only opened, but it released the bonds of every of all the prisoners around them. Now, the jailer, knowing how great his punishment would be. If they find out that those prisons had escaped. Not only would it be killed, but he would be tortured and killed. And so what does he do? He tries to find the quickest solution possible. The Bible says he took out his sword and he said, you know what? That's it. I'm done, son. I'm out because what's coming is going to be worse than this. And he takes out his sword and Paul cries out. He says, do not kill yourself. We are all here. We are all here, present and accounted for. And when this happened, the jailer then calls for the lights and then he sees them all standing there. And I can imagine him in a puddle of despair and guilt and shame and repentance. He runs to these men, having heard what they prayed, having heard their songs. And he says, what must I do to be saved? Now, I love Paul's response. Paul doesn't do like we do. He doesn't give them red tape. He doesn't give him a long list of items to do. He says, believe in the Lord God. Now, you may be wondering, why did Paul not tell this man like we saw him tell other people, repent and believe? I can tell you why. Because whatever they were praying, whatever they were singing, it was the word of God so much so that it had pricked this man's heart. Not only had it pricked his heart, but he runs to them already repenting of his sin, begging them, what must I do to be saved? Now, what I love about Paul and Silas here is that they are not callous toward him at all. They are not um, spectators. They are not skeptical about what he's doing. They immediately give him the gospel again 
And it says that not only was he saved, but his entire household was saved. How is it they can look back at this man who had just beaten them within an inch of their lives and still feel that he is worthy of the gospel? How is it? Because they know that they themselves are not even worthy of the gospel. And so they give him the gospel knowing that everything he did to them was because the gospel had not transcended his life. Listen, we must see everything that is ailing in another person that is unrepentant to be solved by the gospel. That's what will solve it. See, their consistency in the faith was their testimony to God and those around them. So I want to tell everyone here. That even if the jail doesn't shake. That even if. They never apologize. Even if things look like they are never going to change, you let your life and your praise and your worship be the testimony of God's faithfulness, no matter how chaotic the situation gets. And you leave people with no doubt that God is real. David Hume is a famous, famous atheist. And he was around in the same time where George Whitfield was preaching. And George Whitfield was a, a dynamic preacher and evangelist. There was a young man in the crowd. And as he's in the crowd, he recognizes that David Hume is there. David Hume is an atheist. And he says... I didn't know you believed. That's what he tells David Hume. And David Hume says, I don't, but he does. That is how our lives should transcend even people who do not believe that when they see us, when they see our lives, even if they reject the faith, they must stand and proclaim as David Hume did. I don't believe, but they do. See, remember when we talked about Atticus earlier? He was able to overlook the offense of the man because he knew the state of the heart of that man. Even when we face the culture, when we face the chaos, we must remember that we are seeing hearts that are desperately in need of the gospel. When he asked, what could he do to be saved? They just gave him the gospel. How deep did that gospel go? It pierced his entire household. And they were converted. So let's reflect as I close. Paul and Silas' commitment to the gospel got them in trouble with the culture of their day. But they still shared the gospel. They were beaten because of that gospel. Yet they still sung praises.
They were bound because of the gospel. Yet they still witnessed. And a man's entire household was saved because of it. Listen, this is what we call extending the reach of the gospel. When it comes to sharing, there is no cost that we are unwilling to pay. And in our lives, there is no single valid excuse. And so even in the chaos of this world, people need consistent and committed Christians. So I leave you with these words. Somebody is watching your life. Somebody is watching you. You are the only gospel presentation that many people are seeing every day. At home, at school, at work, wherever you may be, you are possibly the only gospel somebody is seeing or hearing. So ask yourself this. What is my life telling them? Let's pray.